Welcome to Making Waves. Artist Tosca Terran, along with Andre Gravel, make up the duo Nanotopia. Together, they've created the installation The Mycorrhizal Rhythm Machine. It's on exhibit until September 20th at the Nasa North Media Arts Center in South River, Canada. The Mycorrhizal Rhythm Machine turns a grow room into a fungi and sprout music generator. Fine electrodes are placed within the roots of mycorrhizal plants. They pick up biodata and translate that into electronic music. Tosca Turan will join me to explain her approach to creating music from fungi and mycelium, but first we'll listen to the ambient music generated by the mycorrhizal rhythm machine.
the obvious question is how does one get mushrooms to make music? I'm working with, and Nanotopia, which is um, myself and Andre Gravel, are working with uh, biosonification modules, uh, which are an open source, purpose built circuit um, created by Sam Cusomano, who is an electrical engineer based in the United States. And I believe Sam started working on that like 2014, something like this, for MIDI Sprout through Data Garden. This information is available online, and uh, Sam wholeheartedly seems to encourage people to you know, explore, because um, it works with Arduino code. Uh, so I'll explain maybe a little bit more uh, there. So the biosonification module, which is what I call it, uh, translates microfluctuations and conductivity between a thousand to a hundred thousandth of a second into MIDI notes and controls. There's like a, a way you can kind of hack the board to add these capabilities so you can go directly, say, into Eurorack modules that usually require control voltage or gates and triggers. But uh, so what you do is you're using electrodes and these could be like snap, 10 snap electrodes that take uh, biomedical pads or you could use different types of wire like copper wire or a high carat gold wire or fine silver wire. And these get inserted into mycelium or into roots and things like this where it can pick up this, you know, conductivity, the electrical currents and sends it into a 555 timer chip which acts as a galvanizer um, in this circuit. And uh, this is sending uh, these, I guess, zeros and ones over to an Atmega chip, Arduino code, that then is translating that out. So you can, through like a five DIN uh, MIDI cable, connect that to your synthesizer or a Eurorack system using a particular module, you know, that accepts MIDI in and then you can just break that out into different ways. So often I like to work with it um, fairly raw, not, I mean, especially in installations like the mycorrhizal rhythm machine, where it's really just taking that MIDI direct to a synth voice and I'm just letting the organism create the sound. So when it gets to the computer, which is running a I guess a virtual synthesizer and it's creating the sound. How do you mean that it's creating the sound? Is it triggering an aspect of a of a sound that's kind of ready to go and ready to be played? For the mycorrhizal rhythm machine, it's um, being sent, this data is being sent uh, through Ableton Live. What I have is I've chosen MIDI instruments within Live that require an input to trigger them so you'll hear the sound like happening whatever that you know sound might be kind of like a vocoder voice um, an ARP synthesizer or like an old Moog model 15 so it's um, I can then you know quantize it if I want I'm not quantizing it in this case I think it's there's an aspect of it that kind of does that itself. Uh, definitely on the board, like the bio module itself, you can create your custom scale, or you can use like a Western chromatic scale or you know, 
a minor pentatonic or major pentatonic, like things like that. So it's triggering these sounds. I'll say it very similarly to using a Euro rack, um, only not with all the wires and cables. So it is, you know, a digital audio workstation. And I have several voices uh, set up. So it's playing these and I've, usually what I'll do is sometimes I'll add like a reverb or delay. So there's, uh, there's a little bit of space between the notes, but it's not super abrupt. How much control do you have um, or allow for yourself to bring into the process? You're choosing these different sounds for it to play. Are there other ways that you're intervening? What's interesting or what I find interesting definitely is if I set parameters, like keep the same voices um, throughout like an Ableton session, for instance, and I hook up different fungi, the sounds, like the patterns are different, if there's patterns. And often, I mean, just we're kind of wired to listen for patterns and things like this. And certain fungi seem to have more of a melodic pattern, if you will, than something more random or chaotic. Uh, so I found that with this mycorrhizal rhythm machine and the roots and as the plants grow and uh, it's really like the mycorrhizae kind of taking hold and growing. Uh, I really noticed that um, after installing that that seemed to be happening fairly rapidly. Um, that I felt there was a pattern happening starting to kind of start to develop which I think is really interesting and I mean I think it would be really interesting if I could actually set something up to record over, you know, be just recording this 24-7 throughout a month. In my, but that's fairly difficult to do just, yeah, equipment-wise and uh, hard drive-wise and things like that. But I, um, that would be interesting to listen back to and see, you know, what changes happen or different pulses. So I th I'm thinking more about how else am I intervening. Perhaps I'm, I am intervening by maybe the plants I've chosen and how they're going to kind of relate to each other in that and how they're going to respond to these wires and, you know, these electrodes that they'll most likely grow around. If there was a huge amount of electromagnetic activity in the area, would that come across in the piece uh, in some way? Would the sensors pick that up or as much as they'd be picking up what the uh, fungi and mycelium are doing? Um, I've wondered that myself too. Um, so something um, I have done um, just to kind of the module itself is I built like a little Faraday type of cage and I placed everything inside of that to see if, you know, just movement around that or if the batteries next to the board or just these different things 
if that might be influencing what you know is coming through like a synthesizer and at least i mean for the small little kind of research experiment i did with that it wasn't there wasn't there didn't seem to be any extra kind of activity however so i think for this there's definitely all kinds of things happening in the soil and you know like if there's insects in the soil uh, there's i mean this soil for instance that i used for these plants definitely you know it's not sterile um so there will be other activity that would be influencing definitely what's going on generally if i'm just working say with mycelium people in a space and i have yet to figure out really um <clears throat> what's going on there with that but people entering a space seem to add something or I don't know um, if it's a predatory kind of response like if the mycelium sense something coming in that might eat it or I don't even know how it's sensing you know like especially if generally I keep them very contained so they don't get contaminants on them because they're very vulnerable generally because it's not naturally growing underground so I tend to keep them contained so I often wonder how does it know or and I'm totally anthropomorphizing it here I apologize but how is it knowing somebody's just come into the space and that's something that I think as these plants grow and say if you were to clip because some of them you know well most of them are herbs and things like that so if you were to clip one of the plants in particular that has the electrodes going directly into it will you hear that in the immediate like come through in the sound generally i have if i have especially if i have electrodes stuck to leaves and somebody touches another leaf or they pull on the leaf uh, th that plant is sending out like an instant chemical response so you do hear that in the immediate come back through the sound and that's very interesting mm. but I don't encourage people to start hitting the plants like a drum or anything like that. Um, but I do find that fascinating. And um, that's something I would like to be able to research with some scientists that you know, might have more of an idea of what's going on or trying to find out like what exactly is going on, particularly with the fungi, because a fungi isn't a plant. Like it just it operates differently. I know from my own experience with um, synthesizers, uh, lim my limited experiences, I got quite interested in things where I had sounds coming in that weren't being played by me and then I was using the synthesizer to modify them. Is that a similar fascination for you for using fungi and mycelium uh, as an input rather than a keyboard or something, a more conventional choice? Yeah. Um... I do find it fun or interesting to uh, work with, you know, like plants or fungi. It's generally fungi. Um, but I do also work with keyboards. So I think that, so how it kind of started in a way was just taking the raw bio data in real time directly to like something like a, an app, like Animog on an iPad. So it's immediately you're hearing this biodata coming through as sound. And that was 
just really wild to me. I didn't honestly expect anything. I mean, I expected maybe some tones, but I did not expect it to sound like something <laughs> playing like this incredible music or that just sounded good. Um, where I'll, I will interject that slime mold generally doesn't sound so great unless you do heavily mediate it. It's more like a, my partner calls it bad jazz or it's just like a, <laughs> <laughs> tonal, like kind of clusters, uh, almost like it ramps up and then just makes a ping and then, you know, you, you can hear it ramp down and then ramp back up. So that's interesting because it's very different than a lot of the mycelium I've worked with. Um, but I do find it interesting, definitely, like the randomness. I do like, uh, like I'm very much interested in generative music and creating trying to create truly generative pieces using um, like there's modules like a touring machine so it's just creating this randomness over time and I feel that that's kind of what the fungi adds is this randomness or chaos or a, like you know it um, sometimes it's very active so you know I can for instance, well, okay, so you're seeing all these lights and patches and things like that. So I could patch out to different synth voices or different filters, and it might be triggering those wildly. And then just for whatever reason, it it's it becomes more quiet, I'll say, or something. So it's less happening. So I do I do enjoy that aspect of it, definitely, kind of, uh, and it sh- serves in a way to for inspiration when it's like uh, I don't think it's like good or bad but sounding necessarily but it definitely does inspire uh, other work that might not even include the fungi for instance or something in, in the mix Have you noticed any difference if you put loudspeakers and the fun- fungi would be effectively sensing possibly sensing the audio that's being produced versus, say, working on headphones where that might be more isolated from them. Um, have you have you noticed any difference in behavior that way? Is it a is it a circuit? You know, in a sense, is it a complete improvisational circuit? Yeah. Um, so there have been a couple instances uh, where I've been able to have like really loud speakers and even you know like subwoofers where we place them so the fungi might be on top just to see what would happen and um yeah i or well i believe that's kind of what's happening is that it does it's interesting because is it hearing well that's also (laughs) assuming it understands or do you know what i mean i think it is responding to the sound um so that makes me wonder too if because sometimes there's these patterns if it's that pattern it's responding to if that makes any sense but yeah that's been interesting uh we did some work uh like this whole piece that we set up with six synthesizers and had all these uh it was ganoderma lucidum which is reishi mushroom or lingji we had those hooked up to these six synths and um it felt like there was definitely kind of this circuit happening or like a call and response type of thing. 
happening, it was really interesting. And um, I felt too that this happened um, with this other set of really giant speakers that were really within, it was within a dome and the mycelium was right in the center. And uh, yeah, it felt like this interesting loop was happening. Um, but I really haven't looked into it too much or really, you know, like kind of played around with that. Um, but I think that would be interesting to do just to see, you know, because, you know, I think of when people talk about, I mean, this is a bit different perhaps, but when people talk about um, playing classical music and how plants seemingly love classical <laughs> music and will grow and become, you know, they'll just su super thrive with that. So I don't know. I wonder what that is. I also uh, was interested in the time aspect because, I mean, often you, you do these through 24-hour live streams that happen for a long period of time. Plus, this is a, at NASA we have an installation, so that's running six hours a day. Um, so is there, is there something about the behavior that it... Is it just that it, it allows... For, it continually is changing and it... War it sustains a long period of interest or how do you you know as opposed to making you know three minute uh tunes with it um i was interested in that aspect allowing it to unfold over a period of time and what what got you there to doing that i think uh for um for instance like for the mycorrhizal rhythm machine because it you know, gets to be kind of up from a midsummer point moving into fall and how fungi, you know, generally in a natural environment uh, start fruiting in the fall and often in the early spring. So I was thinking about, you know, just how things change seasonally and a three minute piece uh, that might give like listeners you know, a little bit of a taste of something that's going on um, because um, 
these are living organisms there's definitely change happening over you know a longer period and i just i think that might be fascinating i mean it is to me <laughs> i just kind of think that other people might want to be able to listen to what's going on or um over a longer period of time i think you can get more of a sense it, it might sometimes be very subtle like it can be super ambient um i mean of course well that might have to do a bit with the type of sounds i enjoy playing or listening to being more ambient uh in nature but um yeah i think that over time like there's so the piece i have like an installation called forest undersound that's been up since january or well growing a little bit since december but installed in the museum since january and that has definitely changed quite a bit i mean not only because at first the fungi that were growing in the case exploded out of the case but now there's plants and all kinds of other things happening. So, and, you know, living and dying, like just because of the environment they're in or just all kinds of different variables coming into that. And so that's interesting. I did record sounds um, in the winter and in the spring, and I'm going back fairly soon to record some more. Uh, and I there's a fairly large difference I felt and I'm using, again, the same parameters. And this is hooked up to um, a little Eurorack, like custom Eurorack synths. So it's triggering sounds. There's a foundational kind of drone that it's making. And then, so it triggers different sounds, but these triggers don't always happen. They often happen, uh, we were noticing when people come by or come up to the case, which is great. Um, and often though, people aren't aware that that's why suddenly something's happening unless they're hanging out there longer. And then it's also hooked up to iPads. So I'm gonna record some more summer sounds and then fall before it comes down. And I'm really interested to hear what it's gonna sound like in the fall. But from morning, afternoon to evening, there's, you know, it changes quite a bit from, I think it's just, got to do with the sun but even if it's in an indoor environment there maybe it's like that the navigational thing uh, that's looked at for birds or certain migratory fish uh, I don't know if it's a similar type of sensing that it's like oh you know we know now that the sun is coming up there's more activity and it's getting quieter it's just super fascinating to me and so I like to share like the longer pieces just to kind of give more of that concept to people that, you know, how these things are changing throughout its whole life cycle, too. Where is that taking place at? Uh, Forest Undersound? Yeah. Forest Undersound is up at the museum. That's the name of the museum <laughs> in uh, Kitchener, Ontario. Um, and it's also actually uh, the audio from it will be playing in a sound park uh, in Linz, Austria for Ars Electronica, I believe. Yeah, I think that's starting in September. Mm -hmm. So is that like a live feed to there or is that a recording? Yeah, well, there's going to be some recording and um, we're looking into the possibility of a live feed mm -hmm. because that, you know, that's 
there's some definite technical like hurdles there and stuff like that just distance alone but um there will be recordings too uh so people can go and sit in the park and they have other sounds and things like that i think it might be a part of what uh is up there called kepler's garden and so different sound pieces play they have like uh, 16 speakers set up i was interested in the different audience uh, responses you have gotten uh, with the work what i've noticed is it's communicating to very you know, people of really different interests and they seem to bring out different aspects of it some are interested in the plant life others in the musical side what are some of the experiences you had with the public with it so far yeah i've had um really interesting responses uh there have been people that are incredibly moved to tears um and they just feel hearing these sounds or even if they can add um like they can with the uh mycorrhizal rhythm machine they can you know kind of add their bio data into the mix through these touch plates and people just feel a connection um that's what they've told me like they just or it's something they've never considered before um that which is interesting to me that you know there's a living force within these plants and or uh, fungi and uh, so that's been really interesting and people definitely musicians are usually like what <laughs> what's going on here and so those are always really great conversations too just to talk about you know even just the gear and how the biomodules work and um, different ways you might work with them or you know have you know different organisms you might try or I mean you can even you know put the electrodes on yourself and so you can be you know through movement or different things be triggering sounds as well um, and I mean I've had the occasional it has been fairly rare and it could just be to um, but well yeah it could just be the venues that some of the work has been in uh, so people are going there knowing you know that there's going to be something different on display but I've only really encountered a couple people where they just absolutely read mushroom fungi and left immediately like just were like oh that's weird <laughs> but other than that people are generally really interested so I am curious to hear more you know about like how people are responding to the mycorrhizal rhythm machine because it is an interesting venue because it's a gallery and then attached to a cafe so people might be purposely heading there you know to NYSA to check out the sound works but then there are the people that just randomly come into the cafe and they're like wow what are these you know different installations you have going on and then they're introduced to something that they've most likely never considered before and so that's really i think it's all really great and it's really interesting because you know i think people will come to it uh in a different way or you know may have some really curious questions to ask and how did you come to it originally how did you stumble upon this this notion i've been like working with sound for a long time like in different ways like from you know bleeps and bloops 
to creating like soundscapes for really like just static objects and things. I like to like, you know, kind of speculate the worlds they might inhabit and things like this. Um, and I really, I've wondered for a long time, like what things sound like that we can't hear that are completely out of our spectrum of hearing. Same visually, like, you know, it's always really fascinating to me. So I had, uh, there was a workshop that I participated in uh, that was introducing people to slime mold, um, and in particular, uh, Physarum polycephalum, which is the many-headed slime. It's a, a myxomycetes that, you, you know, if you were to turn over a log or something in the forest, you might see this kind of mustardy yellow thing kind of there. Uh, it has all kinds of other names in the UK and stuff like that due to how it looks. So we were introduced to this organism um, towards maybe it it can go through mazes. It's really interesting. It likes to, likes to eat uh, oak, oat flakes or one of its favorite foods, uh, seemingly. Anyway, so you can place oat flakes around, say, you know, it's in a Petri dish. It's on agar. So it kind of needs a moist surface to move around. And it, it really is fascinating and it grows really fast or it's not even so much as it's growing, I guess, or it's moving. It comes together and then it kind of branches out in all these directions. And one thing that um, the instructor, uh, who's uh, Sarah Shuka, and they were kind of looking into how to have the slime mold make connections in circuits, particularly so it would trigger, you know, like a buzzer and you'd hear, you know, this noise. And the slime mold kind of, it's similar in the way, same sense as fungi. It doesn't want to do what you want it to do when you want it to do it. It'll kind of circumvent that little, it knows that oat flakes there, but it's almost as if it knows you want to, it to cross this path and it won't do it. <laughs> but anyway, so it was just super fascinating to me um, that this entirely non-human organism, like we were working with it, uh, you know, I was liking to say, like, I'm collaborating with this, um, which can be challenged because it's like, well, does this have free will? Does it know it's collaborating with you? I don't know. I'm not hurting it. I go out of my way. Like, I get very protective over these organisms that, you know, I don't want people to hurt them or anything like that. So, but anyway, so the instructor, she had said, which completely just blew my mind open for whatever reason, why, you know, this is a way you might consider working with alien life. And I just really dug that. Uh, having a huge imagination, I suppose, and into science fiction, thought that is super cool. And around the same time, I had been growing gourmet mushrooms at home. So I had, you know, like, well, and medicinal, I had Ganoderma lucidum. Uh, and it was also around this time uh, I was really looking at a different type of material to work with, having a background of like being a metalsmith and a glass artist, not feeling great about how certain materials are extracted from the earth or how much energy it takes. And, you know, just it's fairly expensive to work with glass. Um, so I was just doing a lot of research around different materials I might be able to sculpt with. And mycelium was one of them. And uh, so I started looking into 
how there must be a way you can hear these organisms and you know like through some kind of tiny microphones or you know like if, if they're making sounds like is there such a thing and so I just started doing a lot of research and searching online and um, actually I found the term biosonification through I believe the group is called Interspecifics and the Energy Bending Lab and they had been doing something similar I believe with slime mold and so biosonification now I kind of had a term that would help me conduct some better Google searches I figured and that's how I came upon the schematic and things like that uh, for these biomodules and uh, another creator that's over in Germany named Manuel Domke was um, he was selling like the boards and some components and you could find your own components so I got a hold of this and I soldered everything together and yeah the first night I mean I had had to buy the MIDI you know the MIDI cable that could go to USB or lightning and then plug that into an iPad put the pads um, with the electrodes onto the Ganoderma lucidum and it was instant and it was a for me it was a total oh my god moment and I just really wanted to dive into that more like it just felt so crazy that we were hearing these sounds like coming from this fungi that I really like I I felt I it was my duty now to travel the world and listen to all the different mushrooms if at all possible and share them um, usually just taking the immediate raw data and putting that up onto SoundCloud and just sharing that. And actually, some of the pieces are short, but they tend to be at least 30 minutes uh, to 90 minutes in length to just be able to, you know, have this whole thing play out. And then I started taking raw data instead of just um, recording the actual synth sounds. So then there's a lot of, like, raw data that I have um, that I share on GitHub and things like that for people that are interested. But yeah, I've just, I've just found it completely fascinating. And, you know, then listening to trees and throughout like, you know, a 24 hour period or longer and changes that take place with that. this made you a vibration artist rather than a musician? Oh, that's interesting. I haven't thought about that. Um, 
I don't know. I don't... Like, do you feel like you're um, going into another realm that's yeah, beyond I, music? Um, I appreciate it if somebody calls me a musician, but I don't really call myself a musician or think of myself as that. I love making sounds and, you know, uh, music, <laughs> if you can call it that. I guess from the point of view of the mushrooms, is that what you're getting? It's vibrations and you're translating that into audible yeah. music? Yeah. Well, yeah. The, or sound. Con- <laughs> the conductance. Um, because, too, like, so I'm translating that into sounds. And I have hooked things up to completely dry. I'm not dead. Uh, mycelium hasn't been desiccated. And desiccation, if you're not familiar, means like you usually in science you would take an organism and it's around 200 Fahrenheit that you might place it into an oven for around 90 minutes or longer to kill the organism and in fungi's case that would be done so it doesn't fruit and it doesn't then spore so I a lot of my things I don't do that at all Uh, if I'm sculpting with the mycelium I want to keep it alive and see it fruit or see you know how it might expand so I have, you know, things will dry out naturally if, you know, they're not kept in a bag or somewhere humid. Um, but it'll still be sending information, which I find curious. This fall, and it really, I guess, depends too on uh, how COVID restrictions keep moving uh, in the United States or what's happening with the border. But um, I will be taking part in a residency at the Coles Center for Biological Art, where I'm going to be trained in working with an atomic force microscope and a scanning electron microscope and confocal microscope. But the concept for the atomic force microscope was to look at frequency or detect frequencies at that subatomic level. Um, I've read some papers that this is something that can be done. So the scientists that Uh, will be helping me look into that like we're all super interested like what what will we find and how can we like can we translate that into a frequency like that makes sense do you know what I mean without a lot of mediation or things like that like how can we show this so that I think that's all about vibration so perhaps (laughs) yeah a vibration artist. Hmm. <laughs> I'll let you mull that over. Coming up on August 28th, you're going to do a live stream and you're going to be preparing for that up here in South River. Uh, can you tell us a little bit how you're going to approach uh, that event? And Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, so how I can kind of have a real live aspect Um, to that because I'll be collecting different data while I'm there. So I had a couple different ideas around that. And um, so while I'm back, like while I was there installing the work, I have recorded, um, I've recorded directly onto the computer and I've also recorded with a little microphone I brought with me. And uh, when I go back, I will you know, gather some more. I'm really curious to see how it's going and growing and, you know, if it's expanding, like different things like this. So I'll collect uh, more of that bio data, probably directly from um, Ableton itself, where everything's kind of streaming through. And then um, I'm hoping 
just because uh, it's been fairly rainy, you know, kind of wet weather happening, and what I've been seeing from people around Ontario posting is there's a lot of fungi happening right now all over the place. Like they seem to be really enjoying this weather. <laughs> so I want to, I thought I'd go around and collect, um, well, imagery as well as some bio data from around uh, the whole NYSA kind of area and integrate that, creating like this whole piece and perhaps too uh, for the living elements. So it will be some recordings happening and then I'll have fungi hooked up here. So I'll probably have some mycorrhizal, like some plants here that will be contributing to that overall piece. That's what I'm thinking about now. I think it could be nice because then um, over that uh, performance, I could demonstrate to more of the, you know, like touching this thing and how the sound changes in me, like in real time, like people will be able to get that. Is there a difference with um, the kind of data you get from the fungi, whether they're in the wild or whether they're in a, you know, man-made environment? Yeah, I think so. I think that, um, so the man-made environment, it's very contained and where, uh, you know, out in nature, I'm not picking it or anything. I'll, you know, put the electrodes within or on like an area. And so they're just more spread out, especially in the fungi case, because it generally has, you know, it's mycelium could be super local or it might be kilometers. Like it could be very vast, especially, I mean, it would be really interesting to find honey mushroom, which I haven't really been able to experiment with um, because honey mushroom tend to have incredibly massive growths of mycelium uh, taking place in a forest. So I know, well, it's, it's tricky to answer because I haven't done, I haven't really thought about it that much. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, that's something like to listen for something I've noticed, which probably this is maybe a good answer is that, uh, when I've had small containers of mycelium, versus really large containers, there can be a huge difference in what's taking place. And I think it's just uh, maybe the room it has to move, a, well, it sounds weird. It's not moving while I'm doing it, or at least I don't perceive it moving. Maybe if a time-lapse were done, you could see things happening and that would be interesting. But uh, yeah, the smaller the container, and also though it does depend on the fungi, uh, it's, there's some less activity happening, but um. So, but thinking about that too, I hooked up some scarlet uh, fungi when I was in Australia. That was happening all over, and really, it was a lot of bracket fungi, so or polypores that you know, so like a shelf kind of mushroom that you see come out of trees usually or logs. It wasn't like a fruiting mushroom that you see maybe coming out of soil or grass, and these um. So these brackets, uh, in particular, this one that um, we weren't sure what exactly it was because it looked, it was just growing in a really strange way off this tree, but it had completely destroyed, or well, it becomes, um, it's like a, a white fungi, if I remember correctly. 
and it makes the tree, the inner parts of the tree turn into cubes. So eventually this whole tree just collapsed because it's, and it's fascinating too, because this one tree had collapsed and you could see the whole interior of it looked like these little blocks. It was very strange. Um, but that compared to one that was growing on a log that was very similar, that but seemed to be more grounded in the soil. The one that had turned into like, or just kind of became all these cubes. It was so strange, like pixelated. It had completely pixelated the tree. It felt very, uh, I usually say frenetic, like it was just really chaotic sounding compared to the one that was just, hadn't perhaps really pixelated the tree yet. Um, but what I do find is when I initially hook up the nature, like the ones that are growing outside, it seems to take a moment before things start to happen, which in the contained block at home, it's immediate. So I don't know, I, sometimes I laugh like it's kind of going, what's going on? You know, like, Is are we gonna element? send anything out? <laughs> yeah, there's this weird thing that's come into play. Um, yeah, where, yeah, it's totally different um, in the containers at home. Like I have, I mean, you can't see it. And uh, listeners won't be able to see it, but I have a really large, uh, like, storage container full of Ganoderma lucidum, like, under these synthesizers here. And that's been going for about eight months. And, um, and that's something that surprises people, too, often, is they think that the mycelium just dies, and it doesn't, even after it's fruited. I mean, it, it you can put it outside and you know get it into the soil or whatever but it'll just keep going and this has not fruited um that's in this uh giant storage container um it's just a little humid atmosphere is happening in that container so something's going on in there and so in a sense it's a really a 12-month year-round process rather than a seasonal one but i guess we're we're aware of it as being seasonal because it we're aware of when it flowers. Yes, absolutely. We see it. And that's, you know, often um, what I've heard people like Paul Stamets say, we know that mycelium is here because we see the fruiting bodies. We see the mushrooms. And that's a fairly sure indicator that there's some networks happening underneath our feet. And if, if one picks a mushroom what is one what is happening to the network um well you're just removing that little uh fruiting body uh it will like generally so for i'll use like kind of the honey mushroom maybe as an example um and you'll see them around trees in the forest and things like this and they're kind of a golden color hard to describe right now but uh so if you pick them, some people like to eat them, and uh, the mycelium itself is usually, if I remember correctly, it's like one cell wall thick, but it can span a huge area. I think of like the humongous fungus uh, that is in Oregon, and there's also one uh, that's in Michigan. And these, at least the one in Oregon that um, I've read about, they speculate it's around 3,500 years old and 
So it's going strong. And they, because they test, they'll do DNA samples from different sites. The one that is in Michigan is really old as well. And from DNA samples from it, from some honey mushroom here in Ontario, they're related. Like it's the same. And, you know, probably because there's like something like 50 ton of spore in our airstreams annually. Perhaps that's how um, they think the originator is from Ontario and it's just kind of floated over probably to the Michigan area. Um, oh, so, okay, so when you pick it, so it's like a hyphae is uh, kind of growing if you imagine wires and things like that and spreading and making nodules and then it will come together and form uh, like a hyphal knot and then that knot so it's like a whole bunch of tangles that start to form a mushroom that then comes up through the soil so you're just picking this little area and generally you know um, that's why too like mycologists will ask people like please don't over harvest an area because you could over harvest like you could pick enough mushrooms to where you know they're not going to fruit anymore I'm not exactly sure if that means the mycelium's not really happening. Maybe it's just going to relocate. Um, but yeah, it it shouldn't hurt the mycelium if you're picking like a mushroom or two. If you you know if you come upon a, a bunch of morels, try not to go crazy and pick them all, even though they're really tasty. <laughs> Leave some for the next season. But um, yeah, so they're just coming up. Generally, it's to be able to spread. You know, kind of the spores are going to go out there and then make more mycelium, like more hyphae, more mycelium, and then more mushrooms, and then on and on and on. So usually in the, I'll just say, when I'm growing it in these huge containers, and uh, sometimes it's not, you know, it takes a long time for any fruiting to happen. Usually it'll start fruiting if uh, it starts getting a lot of light, like daylight or something. If I, you know, have them upstairs, like I'm downstairs right now. And, uh, so it, it's like, um, it seems like a response to I'm contained. I can't go any farther. I can't get out of here. But the one way I can get out of here is by forming a mushroom and popping out of this container somehow and sporing. And then therefore it's continuing on. Hmm. So it doesn't just grow underground, but it requires the flowering for it to yeah, develop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, some, you know, generally the mushroom is considered like the reproductive organ. So it has to come up, it has to spore to continue, like to be able to, you know, spread around the planet or around that forest or just move through the area. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you for sharing uh, your experience, and and uh, we hope to uh, hear more as, uh, as the next couple months unfold. Thank you for having me. That was Tosca Taran in conversation with me, Darren Copeland, on Making Waves. Making Waves is produced monthly by New Adventures in Sound Art for WGXC Wave Farm.